This will be the first episode I've ever done where I have an editor, not me. <laughs> That's amazing. I know, I know. I, so who knows how that'll go. Uh, actually, he'll be listening. So Jonathan, if you're listening, I'm very sorry for whatever mistakes I make. And please make me sound uh, smart. <laughs> Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman. And today I'm excited to bring you the designer, entrepreneur, and speaker behind the iOS app icon book, Michael Flareup. I am like super excited about this. And when I was preparing for this episode, I, I had like a little epiphany that you are deeply uh, intertwined with the beginning of the show in a way that I I'd kind of forgotten about, actually. How is that? This, this show started as like a series of tweets. I think somebody was, they had an app coming out and I was like, hey, somebody should get this person on a podcast. And then somebody said, there should be a podcast dedicated to app launches. And then it kind of as projects do, you know better than me, as projects do, they spiral into a real thing. And once I had decided to do this, uh, I was over planning as I normally do. I was in Florida for a wedding at this at this person's house. I was working on what the artwork should be. And so I actually have these sketches. I can link to it. Like I've written about this before, but I have all these sketches I made. And I specifically remember sitting on this couch in this house working on these sketches for this thing. And right then, like that same day is when you i don't know if you first announced it but i first heard about the app icon book and you were asking for people to submit their app icons it must have been back in like 2018 or something like that uh this was 2019 end of 20 like fall of 2019 okay. i think okay so yeah maybe i heard about it later yeah, yeah uh, well, but either I, way i've been banging that drum for a couple of years so <laughs> yeah so like i had emailed you the the icon and you responded and i was like oh my gosh like this guy because you watching a bunch of your tutorials is how I I came up with my dark noise icon in the first place. So like to me, you were this you know person who knew what they were doing, and you you were talking about this book, and I was so excited about this book, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I'm interviewing app developers primarily. That's who I know. I should like make this into sort of an app icon, and that is why the artwork for my show is in that shape. I love it, and also why every episode I do is uh has its own sketch version of the person's icon that I'm interviewing. And that's what I was working on whenever I realized this. I'm like trying to come up with what should I do for your app icon because you've designed like a billion <laughs> of them. And I don't there's not one icon for this book. And yeah. I'm trying to sit there and think through it. And I was like, wait a minute, this whole idea came from you in the first place. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. That's the wonderful thing about the internet, right? We continually inspire each yeah. other to do things. I have that problem a lot myself. Like I get asked, you know, people ask me, you know, what do you do? And I have a really hard time as the years go on, like actually explaining that or capturing that in a phrase. Or I usually just go with, you know, I'm a designer or I make things. Yeah, designer feels like an umbrella term. Yeah. That at least captures a lot of what you do. Yeah, I am a graphic designer. I, 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 that's the craft that, I, that I've used to open a lot of different doors in my career, um, doing all the different stuff that I, that I do today. And yeah, I, I, I have a deep passion for just pushing pixels from, from yeah, for the past, what, 20 years, I think. It shows. I mean, you have, we'll get into it, but you have a, a long list of uh, projects and we're not going to bore your 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 listeners with all of those. <laughs> like that's uh, let's 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 keep it to a few interesting ones. There's a there's a there's a long long list of. 
Well, uh, to get us started, then I'll I'll ask the three questions I always ask to to kick things off of people. So, uh, first question is, where are you from? And then, do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then from there, normally I say, what was your career like leading up to X Y Z? But really, it's like, what's been your career leading to kind of where you are today? This is going to be like a four hour episode then. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll try to I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. Well, the first two are usually pretty quick. I am uh, I am from Denmark, so um, I I grew up in a suburb uh, to Copenhagen. Uh, my parents divorced early. Uh, grew up in sort of like middle class uh, Denmark, um, which honestly is a pretty good place to grow up. Um, and uh, my my mother remarried, and I had had three wonderful siblings, and kind of grew up in suburbia. Uh, Scandinavia, basically, um, and uh, yeah, that's I, I still live uh, on the island of Zealand, which is uh, the island that has Copenhagen on it. Denmark is a bunch of islands, um, most of them, and then a, a big chunk of uh, stuck there to Germany. Um, so this is geography lesson now. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. I live in a I live in a small uh, medieval city on the coast, uh, maybe an hour's train ride from from Copenhagen. And the second question was, do I have a formal education? That requires a little more. So after gymnasium, that would be high, probably high school equivalent or like first year of college. Okay. I was like really, this was around, you know, the, the millennial, uh, millennium. So, so I was really into uh, web design and uh, the internet was very young and I, I just really, you know, wanted to do more of that stuff. And I was spending a lot of my time on, uh, you know, this in this pirated copy of Photoshop making forum signatures on old php bb boards and you know, did a lot of questionable digital art you know stuff stuff that we <laughs> took pictures on my my old canon uh, camera and warped them in different ways and you know you know the the things you see on like trans covers and stuff like like abstract neon art stuff like i i love uh, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like that yeah uh, so really love that sort of stuff really into design so i was like i'll go to the design school i i i, I want to be a designer um, and then I went to design school and it was nothing like what I needed at the time. Um, what I met there was a very uh, elitist and closed off sort of design uh, space. Mm. Scandinavian has a long culture of, of design in many other areas of furniture and architecture and things like that. Graphic design, mm, yeah, not as much. So it's sort of like a, a secondary thing. And maybe it was the school, maybe it was just me. I don't know. I didn't fit in. Um, but my mom was like really adamant about me finishing school, right? It was like a two-year education. So I was like, okay, mom, I'll do it. So I finished it. I finished my design school. So I do have a formal design education. I don't use it for anything whatsoever. <laughs> um, I don't feel like I learned anything. And I think maybe if there's some traces of me, you, you said you saw some of my tutorials. I've been doing some teaching. Uh, I I've give workshops and I have a YouTube channel where... I sometimes try to impart some sort of wisdom. Uh, that probably stems from like not being super happy with my own formal education. But anyways, like I, I fled, uh, I fled into, I, I was like, screw design. I'm not going to be a designer. Design's boring. Uh, and then I went to university to study um, heart science, basically. <laughs> uh, I uh, okay, yeah, I, I, I around 2004, I, I was, um, I was in Thailand during the the Boxing Day tsunami. And that sort of changed some things in, in my life. 
Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I haven't believed that's not something I usually talk about publicly, but you know, it's fine. Like we're it's a casual podcast, so we can talk about that. I mean, I would think, yeah, that would shape how you think about the world and your life, and you know, not living for granted and and you know, constantly and relentlessly pursuing what you want to be doing with your life. I, I think that really did shape me, and so I thought I'm going to study geography and early warning systems um, for that sort of stuff. And I was. I was really, okay. I was really into to like the whole data side of that. And I was, a, I was a geek after all, right? So, um, I built my own computers. When I, I, you know, grew up hacking my own Amiga, uh, writing adventure games and bat files and you know little things like that. So, so I was, I was really into that. I was, I, I've been the and you, many that listen to this probably are in the same role in their families, but I've been the perpetual support guy. <laughs> Uh, in, our, right. in our families, yeah, I, yeah. I even worked as a support uh, staff at university, uh, fixing uh, computers for all these humanistic studies. Boy, do I have some stories to tell there! But, <laughs> but, but, but so I, I went to university, and uh, I wasn't really—I had the time of my life, but I wasn't a great like scientist. And so I veered mm. more into computer science because I, I felt like, okay, that's that might be something. But honestly, I was a really bad programmer. I was just—I didn't—I wasn't very—I was not very good at it. Um, luckily, I could rely on some of my visual skills, and I think that sort of got me through it. And uh, right around when we were st- we're moving from our bachelor's degree to our, our master's degree, me and a couple of, of my friends, we uh, applied for the University of Copenhagen, uh, which is a different university than the one I attended, uh, to just do the last two years. And uh, we all, you know, read each other's applications and everything. And where I have this picture of us when we handed in our applications at university. We're all there, all five of us. And I was the only one that didn't get in. Oh no! So, so my yeah, so my my academic career sort of just came to a screeching halt. And many of my friends went on to to get uh, doctorates and 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 are very esteemed scientists today. Uh, I am just the dropout. Uh, but um, so yeah, I I I just have a bachelor's degree and I have my design uh, background. And I guess I kind of found my way back to what initially interested me with design, which was more about um, the intersection between between art and utility. Yeah. Um, the the art the artists from from way back making those digital albums and whatnot was still there in me and wanted to make uh, you know fun interfaces and icons and and I think we all sort of convened on a. A forum called MacThemes back in the day. Ah, okay. I've heard about this. Today, steeped in legend. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is really back in the day. Uh, and uh, those people that were part of that that motley crew of pixel pushes, there was no great demand for these things back then, right? We were, sure. We were making wallpapers, Winamp skins, icon replacement sets, whatever. I was just sitting up late instead of, you know, going out partying with my friends. Uh, I would just sit and and draw icons right in my pajamas, right? So 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 yeah. So that's I, I did that for a while and figured out at, that there might be you know something here. Found my way back into enjoying design again uh, and started freelancing. And that's what that's what pulled you back in. You yeah like, that, yeah. You weren't necessarily like I'm doing design again. It was more like you were in these forums doing this stuff for fun. Yeah, it was like it was one project at a time, right? Uh, during university, I kind of got I, I became chairman of like a, a fraternity bar, I guess would be the translation. Uh, a lot of great times. Um, 
but we needed a lot of like design material for this sort of stuff, flyers for parties. Right. And then someone came to the party, saw the flyer, and like, hey, we need uh, the cover book for the student handbook for next year. Would you want to, you know, illustrate? I was like, yeah, I guess I can do. You know, I've done Photoshop, so I'll do something. You, of that. you built a, you had a little reputation as a guy who knows yeah. how to, <laughs> yeah. to make. So it's like trying to like <laughs> build things and uh, just uh, uh, constantly coming up with like weird side projects that I wanted. I built kind of like a an early like social media network for just the university that I was in um, before Facebook. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure many people did this, but just using the tools available, right? Uh, yeah. You know, pictures from parties were shared across, like there's a couple of thousand people on on campus. So that was popular for, for a while until Facebook killed that idea. Um, but I just did like, just played around, did video podcasting for a couple of years at university. It was really, I'm really into videography in general. I never really yeah. lost the camera. Uh, and drones and things like that. I love making, I love, love documenting things. So that, that's my formal education, I guess. That's that's where that leaves us. Uh, Michael have, did not get in to, to, to his master's degree uh, and uh, is now sitting at home doing design work and very a very poor not student like just sort of like making making way just uh, designing things for people online, um, little logos and whatnot. How does that translate into this being a career? Was it like you said your your student career kind of came to a screeching halt? Is that how it felt? And then you're like, what do I do with my life now? Yeah, uh, I mean, this is so many years ago, right? So it's, it's like trying to like sure. invoke like those emotions, but yeah, I guess so. Like, I think when you have a plan and you're like, I want to be doing this, uh, and then it suddenly stopped like externally. Uh, I think particularly when you're young, uh, that, that sort of, you, you kind of have to take stock for a moment, right? Um, yeah. I think I, in hindsight, for me, it was like one of the best things that could ever have happened. Uh, it, it just really Selfishly for to... all of us as well. Uh, <laughs> it really I'm sure you would have me... done great things in the world yeah. of science, but uh, yeah. as someone who loves icons, I'm, I'm glad it worked out this way too. <laughs> yeah, it just, I don't know. It just forced me to like really f like figure out, I mean, that combined with my, my experiences in Thailand and, and it just kind of forced me to think about like, so what's the most fun thing I could be doing right now? Like, what's the thing that I want to be doing? And I really enjoyed just making silly things in Photoshop. And um, and so so what happened from there on is actually, so there was a little bit of freelancing. We did the, the art, you know, web design. We did both the design and the actual web coding and some sort of mangled like template system or whatever. Uh, I have right. done anything from like PHP to like Joomla of templates, like just things for clients. You, you get paid like pennies to do those things, right? And I was back in the day. Um, but what happened was that this sort of skill, the skill of deliciously rendering things on on screen uh, and conceptualizing, you know, th things in, in through iconography and kind of exploded in popularity particularly with the the with, well with mac with the mac platform gaining in popularity as well but also when when smartphones came out so with the first iphone mine imported from the us because we didn't have that in denmark uh so 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 have someone like buy it and ship it over to me <laughs> and uh and i was just I was so amazing like holding this thing because suddenly i could like touch the art that i was doing right yeah it was uh, there was always this distance with computers and even though we did many icons and themes and wallpapers before then, like it, it really became real for me. And I guess the, like the rest really is history in terms of like that popularity, that drive in uh, in in for that particular skill. Because I think those people that hung out on Mac themes, m many of those people 
went on to uh, become very influential in visual design, um, shaping a lot of products. And I think most of us that were part of that crew have, you know, worked on a lot of products and a lot of like big brands and, and just, you know, just disseminated into like the design industry and created like, I feel like the foundation of what I would call modern visual design. Um, and uh, I was just really fortunate to be there at, at that time and place uh, and be uh, curious and, and willing to spend a lot of time like honing my skills as a, a digital artist at, the, uh, at, at that point in time. And yeah, so we, we did that for a while uh, and uh, got a lot of freelancing going. Um, suddenly everyone needed app icons, right? This thing I've just been doing for fun. That's what I was going to ask. Is this is this the time when... I think I probably got this from you, actually. But like, you know, icons have always been important before, you know, computers even. But then obviously with digital mediums, it became important. But then with the iPhone and more specifically with the App Store and the Play Store being the storefront, the only real way that people see or look for new uh, apps to purchase... The icon itself became singularly incredibly important, right? Was that kind of what you started becoming doing mostly, or were you also designing apps and and even websites and stuff still at that time? I was doing everything I could get my hands on. <laughs> I was, but of course, <laughs> I mean, I, I, icons have always had a very special place in my heart from from way back then because it's such a confined canvas, right? You you really have the same yeah. space to work with, and I love that creative challenge. And you're always trying to like tell a story uh, or trying to imbue it with some sort of special like wink to the the, the viewer that's 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 looking at the, this piece of art it's crazy too when you think like you know the canvas has basically not changed i mean i know they changed the round wreck became the squircle and yeah, yeah the squircle yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but like ultimately it's the same shape overall yeah and yet if you look at an icon from any point in history you can kind of pinpoint Within you know a five year period when that icon was designed, which is kind of yeah. wild, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I was still like, I don't want to sound like we just sort of only did um, iPhone apps and, and iPhone iconography. I, I think we we were just generally like I would call us the delicious generation, like growing up on um, uh, okay, yeah, Aqua, yeah. Uh, on Aqua, like the UI. Uh, the the beautiful water droplets and blue deep blue buttons with the lickable with lickable that, buttons uh, lickable buttons with that gloss that pure gloss um, and uh, and and I, I think like and I think we we tried to take that everywhere we could right and so when the the iPhone came around came around it was um it was like a very obvious sort of extension of that and uh, of right. course in the first few years we we did uh, people label this we could have a separate podcast episode about this one word but i'm going to say it once now people call this skeuomorphic i think that's a very bad term for many reasons like i just i i really dislike that that idea but people call that the, the skeuomorphic era right and there was this for a long time i think we we did that and it was great i was like we're we're just getting started. We're like uh, we're like Jedi apprentices, right? And we're just being uh, put in. We're just going attending the academy, and and everything is great. And then uh, Order sixty six comes and slays all the skeuomorphic <laughs> designers with minimalist design. <laughs> That's what happened. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I think uh, a few of us kind of struggled there because we were just. Of course, people don't need to be like a. Uh, have 10,000 hours of woodworking experience in Photoshop to make a good app icon, right? Um, and I think there was definitely time for like some new ideas. 
I think there's a general consensus that iOS 7 was like a, a step too far uh, on the on the scale of things. I, I know I've written and talked a lot about this. The pendulum definitely swung pretty hard in one direction there. I think uh, me, including a lot of other people, sort of looking around like, what happened, right? <laughs> yeah, it's wild when you can have a, a singular entity make one change overnight and it just radically change an entire industry. I was in uh, I was in the U.S. actually at the time. I was like we were road tripping and uh, with uh, my co-founder of, of the product development studio that was on, was on. We were watching like the the keynote from like a Starbucks on a on a laptop. I was just like, what, what? <laughs> Even in the car, like a, like many miles after, I was like what just happened? <laughs> oh man, it was interesting. Uh, at that time, I had established myself as a freelance uh, designer, and that was great. Uh, and I had started a product development studio uh, with uh, with a developer, uh, and we we had some excellent years. Uh, it was called Robocat, and we just had like we had like excellent years of like making all sorts of products. And again, that would be a separate podcast episode of the good old days. We the first app we did was called Outside. It was like a weather app that was uh, heavily featured by Apple. Um, and uh, you can still look up some of these like behind the scenes videos that we did. I was like really like early stage like ios 3 right was that the first time when you were actually able okay. to like do real real apps uh, like, it was either two or three yeah, yeah it was two, it was two or three out. we launched that into the, the app store back then uh we weren't you know part of the first uh thousand apps or something like that but we were, it was pretty new back in the day still and, the gold um, rush era still the gold rush era, and we were we we're operating that little agency or that product development studio in the gold rush rush era for like se- seven years building anything under the sun like apps games uh we're, we did uh, hardware uh, uh, uh one of the biggest kickstarter campaigns in europe in 2013 for a stupid little thermometer that we did that's what i was about to say that's the thermometer one right yeah so we were just like hungry and we we're just doing everything we, we can make software and we can tell these experiences and it was excellent um and uh and and at one point like we we're just like we, we just had to do something else we we grew apart and and I was like looking at the stuff that we had made and be like, okay, what which of these things am, am I actually really excited by? And I think I came back to 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 you know the old days of of making things on my Amiga or we used this thing back in the day on my first PC called Click and Play. It was Maxis made this? Uh, I was like a game engine basically where you could like build oh, okay. little event based games and. Uh, so I, I was really excited. I always tried to push Robocat in more of the gamified direction as well, uh, and uh, and I was like, "Screw it! I'll 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 make a game studio." Um, and that's when I started Northplay. And uh, luckily, okay. some some people were <laughs> crazy enough to to follow me on that quest, uh, and uh, have been running my, my my game studio now for. We're coming up in six years now, uh, which is in in game development years is like sixty years. Um, so <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, especially on the mobile front, it, there's been just oh yeah so much change and action in that space. It feels like yeah. Although you all aren't just mobile anymore, right? No, no, no. We started out on mobile because that was sort of the my background, right? We've been making apps for for so many years, and I knew so many people in that space, and it felt like for a, a pretty much a, a no brand sort of startup to make any kind of game with uh, literally very with, with not a lot of money um we wanted to self i wanted to self-fund the whole thing didn't take any investment or anything like that never been good at at asking for money um and so we uh i felt like the be- the best bet that we could have was was to um to make a mobile game uh this was in 2000 
15 or 16 i can't remember 16 okay um uh, and uh, and we we're just sort of starting out and and we made a, a game I, i've always loved uh, the game transport tycoon i i have it here on like i have the cardboard box on my shelf next to my computer um always been enamored with tycoon games in general so i was really into like trains yeah. and, but it's hard to make a tycoon game on <laughs> on mobile at that particularly at that time with the tools that we had right so it ended up being a puzzle game um but it was still with trains and it, it i think if you look at conduct this which is the, what the game turned into turned into um a few months later uh it, it really does have like that air that vibe of uh of, of you know, transport tycoon, or at least it sort of tastes like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, the sort of isomorphic, you know, yeah. angle and man, I didn't realize that was your first. That was your first game with that studio. Okay. Yeah, that was North Place, like claim to fame, and I think we're we're super. Um, I know now uh, from from <laughs> from experience that that was. I mean, we got really lucky with that game because games are hard. I mean, if if I from everything that I've learned from graphic design and make, I've made so many apps. I got bored of making apps and designing apps. I was like, which of these three apps are we designing today? Right? I felt like the apps from back then, if it didn't become like a platform, uh, you died, or it was too niche right. to keep uh, as a business. Right? I feel like things have improved. You would know better than me, but I feel like things have improved. But I don't know as a, as a designer and someone who just wanted to create these experiences for, for, for people. Uh, flee, fleeing to game design was just way more uh, interesting to me. But game design is very difficult. It's like 3D chess. Like it's a, it, it, there's so many axes and things to consider. Pretty business too, right? Very. The, the business side is is difficult for sure. I mean, I'm still figuring yeah. that one out. But the design <laughs> side of it too is like I've really just had to grow on the job as a CEO uh, and as a game designer. And so with conduct this, um, we're running out of money. And uh, I was funding everything out of my own pocket. And I was just like trying to freelance on the side, you know, making some icons and things just to make sure that like, we could pay salaries. And um, and we had uh, a few clients lined up for Northplay. Northplay uh, do make um, some client work for, for clients that we think is, is mm. really interesting. We work with the Danish national media on their kids department, for example. I have kids myself. So oh, cool. that's really cool. In a small country like that, you were actually really part of like adding something to the institution you grew up with. Like this is children's TV, basically, and apps and games for, for, for children. So we do that. We're currently working with the National uh, Sciences History Museum in Denmark as well on an interactive thing. So yeah, so Northplay does a little bit of that sort of stuff, right? But mostly we wanted to build a game studio and make our own games. Uh, and so we released Conduct This, I think, in the Christmas of like 2016. I may, I may be budging these, these numbers. Around but, that time period. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was sort of like, we have to release now because we're running out of money next week. Um, and uh, I think we re will release the game. It's like an action puzzle game where you direct trains around. I don't know, I don't know if you've, you've played it. My kids love it. Uh, to the point where, I hate to say this, the game kind of annoys me because they always want to play it. Uh, and My job here is done. They, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I will get into the game but they love them crashing. And so yeah. they always want to make them crash and then they yeah, laugh yeah. and then I get annoyed. <laughs> yeah. But no, it is, I mean, a delightful game and they love trains. So uh, there was a Everyone period, this was trains. when it came out on the Switch that they <laughs> yeah. just like were super, super into it. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. It's one of the wow. first games that they could really play on their own on the Switch where, you know, it feels like a an adult like thing from their perspective, like yeah, versus the that. little kid games that they'd played before. So 
Yeah. It, yeah. That game in particular of your projects actually holds like a specific place in my heart. That really, honestly, Charlie, that makes me really happy. I know sometimes like these, uh, these sort of podcast talks can be a little sort of like, yeah, I'm just rambling off my story. But that really means a lot to me because I feel like I was that kid, like growing up and, and fiddling with my things and, and doing, you know, things in like Amiga or like click and play later on the PC. And like to, to be able to give that experience to someone else is, is, is pretty big in my world. So yeah. thank you. I can hear the music in my head right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the explosions, of course. <laughs> and the explosions. Yeah. It's a really difficult game. I've seen grown men cry over it on YouTube. So it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we launched that and it was sort of like make or break for this tiny studio, right? Everything you do now has just an intense amount of stuff around it. It sounds like your history in college was hyping up parties with material yeah. and stuff. Were you doing that for this game then? Yeah, yeah. No, I've always, uh, and it, it's interesting that I'm on launched because I love launches. I've always loved launches. <laughs> and I, I, while I do have a graveyard of side projects that's all, all had spectacular launches, I've also been um, been a part of some launches that I'm really proud of and, you know, things that um, that that have gone really far and wide like front page of TechCrunch news we interviewed for y company there are like so many little stories of of other paths my career could have taken um so yeah i know i love launches and we did that for conduct this as well uh, of course uh, just emailing everyone and it's kind of like like you have this mobile game it's like please play the, my game here go play the game uh and uh, back then the business model was pretty much like there was ads and you could remove the ads um okay. and yeah and and there was like only 20 levels or something like that and so we had to make the levels really difficult this is actually why I conduct this today is such a difficult game uh. because we were that's the what that's the trick you do as a, a game designer you want your game to be longer just make it more difficult um <laughs> so so we did that uh and uh yeah it, it went really well like the I remember the first week was like nah it's not 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 super it was it was december right so it was like the i think the the, uh, first, yeah, the yeah. first week was like, yeah, okay. I, it had, I think it got a, a couple of thousand downloads. And of course, that's nice uh, and would have been way more than had we launched on any other platforms at the time. Um, but right. then really around Christmas, like it really kicked off. And uh, and we got, I, I, I can't remember, it, it, more than 2 million downloads, I think, in, in the course wow. of like a very short span of time. I guess that period of time was still when Christmases were, because Christmases yeah. used to be like, a big upswing. I don't think that's really still the case, but because people were still getting iPhones for Christmas and stuff. Yeah, lot. and featuring meant something back then. It doesn't really anymore. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. So so Apple really did feature us and uh, so, so cool. Uh, and it, it was really sort of, it was the make or break moment for North Play. And uh, luckily it, it made us. Um, and it, it wasn't like, we still had to worry about like keeping the company afloat. It wasn't, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, flying around my personal jet or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I reinvested <laughs> everything back into more games. And then we, we made some games that weren't quite as successful as conduct this. Uh, but, but you uh, could afford that. Yeah. We know, could those. afford to get that learning experience and, and figure it out. And we made a few mobile games. And then um, uh, when the, when the, I mean, I could have a separate podcast episode about like running a studio, but I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll try to skip over the, to the, the, the cliff notes. Um, but yeah, we made a few mobile games and kind of saw that space um, disappear from under us. Uh, ad revenue kind of dwindled. Um, generally, it became very like metrics driven, data driven. So really as a small mm -hmm. studio, if you 
uh, weren't uh, employing people to, you know, look at your metrics and optimize your game for like pure metrics um, and, and, you know, get the right average revenue per daily active user or the right day 30 retention or whatever, um, you would you would actually be out of business quite quickly. And it was sort of like it, it took a, a large chunk of money to make a small chunk of money on the mobile games space. Right. And I think that's very true today. Um, and I was stupid as I was. I kept I wanted to like I wanted to keep making things for this platform because it, it, I loved it so much. And if you went back and told ten uh, year old Michael that in the future everyone would have like a, a fantastic Game Boy in their pocket, it's like the more advanced that you'd ever imagine. But there's really no very good games for it, right? Um, I think he wouldn't have believed you. Uh, and uh, and of course there are good games, but there's just they're yeah. really far between, right? I don't want to get any angry. The dominate <laughs> the ones that dominate the platform are the the big business heavy yeah. on microtransactions and probably figuring out uh, like Facebook ads seems like that's yeah. almost the most important part to making a game studio work, which is kind of yeah. not the best. You want to have like a user, <laughs> yeah. We want to have your user acquisition tied down and understand these different metrics and 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 honestly nothing wrong with that that's perfectly fine that's entertainment too like i i i talked to yeah, my uh, parent and my my in-laws and they're like no we don't we're not gamers but i see how many hours they clock in their match three games and whatnot right and and that's i i feel like as a game designer i totally respect that i think that's fine but it wasn't the sort of entertainment that i wanted to make i, I wanted to make the kind of games that you could finish um or the games right. that that where there, there's like, it, I feel like we're as a sometimes as a culture we're very uh, taken by this idea that nothing really ends. Like there's always another season or endless whatever. Um, and uh, I, I just think there's something beautiful about like an experience that you have, and there's end credits, and you digest that experience. You keep it in your heart, and you go on your path, right? And I want to make that sort of game, that sort of those games that we grew up on that you could. You, I've done this game. I've finished it. So, and that wasn't really the mobile where the mobile space was headed. So we started. Um, right. We started uh, doing another child's dream of mine was, of course, because uh, I was I I grew up with a Game Boy in my hand was to make something with for for the any Nintendo platform really. Um, so we released our first game for the Nintendo Switch, which is the game you uh, your you and your kids yeah. played. Yeah. Um, which was, of course, based on our first very popular game. We took conduct this, and we're like, okay, let's. We 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 got a a, a switch dev kit, and we we're like, okay, can we make this into something that works on the switch? Gosh, yeah, and that was actually a really fun exercise. It's making me smile. Like the thing, I, uh, the question I have is, what did it feel like even before releasing it or anything? But holding your game in a in a switch. In a Nintendo <sighs> console, like it was amazing. It it, it was so cool, and I, I think I, I I probably I tweeted about this also. I must have been like absolutely terrible to follow because I was just so smitten with this. Like, yeah, that's the thing. There's so I, much I of your childhood and your identity <laughs> and history are wrapped yeah. up in this in this thing. I mean, because I remember just like the first time running through an iOS tutorial or something, and you you hit you know the play button uh, and out pops this little button that you made on this phone and you tap it. It was probably Android for me. But point being, you tap it with your hand on this device that you've used as a real thing. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like I yeah. made that. And I've programmed for I don't know how long before that, but there's something about it being yeah, that changes in that context. And I feel like it being on a Nintendo platform would be that times 
a trillion. Like I can't imagine how that felt. Yeah, it was amazing. But also, I, I, I guess I feel like a lot of my adult life has been like people. At least earlier, it was like people saying no to me, like or like being. It was like not a great design education, or I didn't get into my master's degree, or like no, you can't do that, or like I got gloriously fired for like a telemarketing job I had was like eight when I was eighteen, uh, and uh, and and I was just not cut out for it, so the firing was fine. It was just like just constantly like uh, trying to chase something that I thought would be fun, right? And I, I really feel like I, I achieved that with a lot of my graphic design work and. Um, so happy and I feel very privileged that a lot of that has, has, you know, landed where it is today. Um, but also with, with games and particularly that moment with, with, uh, our first game on the switch was, was huge. Um, and so conduct together, actually that process of making that we took conduct this, which by then had grown and was a, a popular game with, with many million downloads, uh, on the, on, on, on iOS and, and on Google play. And then we were like putting it on, on the switch and something that dawned on us was that you have two joy cons and it was actually kind of fun it was like a mistake to begin with mm. that you would that two people could actually just interact with all the trains so it was kind of like a buck and we found out like during a test session like that's hilarious like that's so much more fun um because th this is a party console it is a a shared experience and conduct this is very much a single player experience but but suddenly the whole game changed changed and we actually end up spending like a year uh, like redesigning the whole game. A lot of the content will be similar to people that played both of those two games, but they're very different because one is like attuned to being played um, where you need to coordinate with your co-players. You can play Conduct together alone just fine. Some people actually prefer that, but I think it's best and shines the most when you're with you know kids or uh, or just like your mates having a few beers. Like it's a really good party game, right? It it elicits yells. Yeah, right? uh, there's a lot of yelling. Which me, yeah, which is like the sign of a good party game, right? Yeah, like, exactly. And it was a really intuitive uh, thing to develop it, right? Stuff that I've I, I never really. I mean, yeah, we do test flights, and I still work on on apps from time to time and do UI, so I'm not totally out of the game, right? But it's like it's a lot more iterative when you do games because you're you're trying to describe some some sort of like. <sighs> ephemeral thing or what is fun you break it down like a stand-up yeah. com comedic <laughs> would break down his routine right until it doesn't become it's not fun anymore to you the developer making games and playing games are two very different disciplines right um and and so one quick way to fall out of love with your favorite genre is to try to make a game of that genre <laughs> um, <laughs> but we but we we we, uh, we spent that year and the game changed completely uh and we uh, lots of like un intuitive changes took place where you're like okay so you have to someone controls the switches and someone controls the trains but you actually have to have labels on those things that you could shout out to each other because vo like vocal uh, communication became really important when you're trying in yeah. this high stress situation of running around trains on a track. And so, yeah, very, very, very fun. And then uh, what actually happened is that uh, and not a lot of people know this. We're getting into deep game dev territory here. All right, here we go. I think we can be credited with kind of ruining the eShop a little bit. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I want to apologize for that. So so Conduct Together did fine. It was pretty good on the Switch to begin with, right? We, we sold enough units to, um, to, to make the money back that we spent on that year. And so I was like, and this is the good thing when you don't have any investors or anyone designing what to do. Um, I was just like, when the pandemic rolled around, we kind of wanted to do something. And one thing that we could do is try to give away a game away for free. We're like, we've gotten what we needed from Conduct Together. So we wanted to uh, give 
give it away basically we called it like the super duper stay at home stay safe yeah kind of sale uh and, and nintendo wouldn't this. allow us to give our game away it was like it was like it, it, i think it still is like is, is it 10 or 15 bucks i can't remember worth the full 15 if you ask me but but uh, but we want to disc we want to just give it away and nintendo said no you can't do that uh so he was like okay can we do like what's the cheapest we can do and they're like uh, noa said to us one cent i was like good <laughs> it's one cent then fine let it be one cent and what happened was that i think we we're the first to do sort of this thing not out of some sort of desire to make money but really just because we couldn't have it our way. So it was kind of like a, like a child, a, a petulant child being like, no, okay, one yeah. cent then. And so it was a, we ended up selling, I think, 600,000 units in a very short amount of time, actually turning a profit on that one cent download. And people started streaming it wow. and talking about it. And yeah, and afterwards, I think a lot of like growth hackers out there saw that what we did and followed us completely into that, into the ground there. Interesting. So I want to apologize for that. I would. <laughs> Did that work for other people though? Because I feel like a big part of it is a. It was authentically altruistic. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, there's lots of motivations, but like, of course, we wanted people to play the it game. Was authentic. I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not <laughs> yeah, saying yeah. or anything like that. But but it, but yeah, right. we didn't try to make any profit from it. Right. I feel like if a bunch of people start doing the same thing, you're not going to catch lightning in a bottle. Unless it really is like a legit yeah. business model. Maybe. I think today, like we, we coined a term for it. I don't know. That's probably, I mean, I'm sure they're teaching this at school now, right? But we, we called yeah. it like sale dipping. Uh, and we, 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 we did that a few other times with, uh, with Conduct. Um, later on, we've, we've actually just shipped like uh, just a few months back, we shipped the first DLC because what happened was the people would download this one cent game and they'd be like, oh, it's probably just shovelware or whatever. It's one cent. So I, I just, you know, got it for fun but then they'd figure right. out uh and I, I i'm glad that conduct has that sort of experience on people imparts that experience is that it's a really good game it's it's actually quality fun and so there's a lot of people that actually wanted to try to give us some money for the game and we had no way of sort of capturing that in any way because it's a very sort of archaic system um so so we 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 released a, a DLC uh, with new tracks and new trains and everything that people really wanted, uh, and uh, and people have been buying that in droves. And I think that's part of like there's a lot of people still playing, um, and uh, yeah. we're gonna keep investing into conduct together and conduct this, which are two completely different things now. We also tried tried bringing it to uh, PC, conduct deluxe. It's a whole franchise now. Uh, we did. Well, conduct, you have an AR. Yeah, we did too, conduct right? AR. That's actually a very different game, not built on the same thing, and. I think for a oh, few okay. years, I, I kind of toured. We learned a lot about like mixed realities. And I, 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 I toured with a talk like called Designing for AR uh, with all the stuff that we learned from, from those experiences. I bet that'll have a, a sudden big uptick in views uh, in 2023, if the rumors are correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it, that, you, could, you could go and, and watch that. On my, it's probably on my YouTube channel somewhere. Did you have a, like, was there any impact on sales for the mobile version after that whole switch thing like did yeah, people no, try yeah. it think realize they like it and then we're like hey i can get this on my phone wow they cross pollinate a little bit but actually what i've found is that it's it's really um it's really very two very different demographics um sure that I makes mean, sense th there's some geeks that really like to play on all the different things right i'm one of them and i get like I, I can get the same game like i am a physical game collector i love and i built like game boys and like 
take them apart and mod them and things like that and gotten really into that for the late last couple of years i have a full collection of gba games you know with the boxes that i made myself so i am i am really one of the nerds here uh but i feel like they're they're very different people that play on on mobile and then on console and um and this is i guess this is kind of like if you want to take it i this conversation is, can be very specific maybe to my case but wanted to like go up in the helicopter for a bit one thing i think i've learned is that and this is very much in the spirit of launching things right we're so focused on the 1.0 of something uh whether that's an app or a game we really want that to be like that's the experience that people need but software is like will perpetually be there unless you do something about it and so far more people is going to play conduct this on mobile than has ever in this 8 million downloads that we've had now far more people's going to play that game in the next 10 years and i think that's kind of interesting to think about and the same with apps like you you really you you want to keep iterating on it right it's it's not done necessarily if you don't want it right. to be done it's not done and a lot of new people will come into contact they'll never know what 1.0 looked like um and i think that's been very true for for conduct this for sure it's easy to think I'm definitely guilty of this in part. I think maybe it sounds like you too. I just love launches like all the hoopla and trying yeah. to make noise. is a fun thing. But yeah, like you said, it, any remotely successful project or app or game is going to have more people use it after launch day <laughs> than yeah. people that use it on launch day, like by definition. And yet, yeah, launch day is the day that you kind of, I mean, I guess it is a make or break moment in a, in a sense. It can be, but but maybe not always. Like I feel like if you're spending a bunch of money, but if you're a uh, independent and can you know keep going even if the initial version isn't successful, yeah, like you can grow it into something bigger and yeah. keep making it better, and then you'll get more people then capture more people at that time than you ever would have been able to on day one. I think that's that, that's definitely true uh, on on some in some ways and on some platforms. I mean, game design uh, or games, the games business, if you want to talk about that for a moment, is very hits driven, of course. And launch yeah. day really does mean a lot there. Uh, so I'm still learning this sort of stuff. But I, I, at least for me, like it took it took a few years to figure out. Okay, I love launches, but I don't think the business necessarily has to be made on launch day, right? I, I feel like. If you really love something, you will continue to pour some love into it and see if it grows, right? It's like pot. It's like potting a, a plant and be like, "There, it's done." It's like <laughs> uh, this is the, what the plant was. <laughs> Do you think that the app store is part of what's changed? Like the early days of the app store, getting featured was so important to to your whole business model, right? Yeah, and like getting featured is something that you at least nowadays, maybe it was different then. I wasn't really here, but like your launch was your opportunity to make enough noise to get on people at Apple's radar and get featured. Or is that not really the case? Was it also then that you get featured later down the road and it would, could be just as impactful? I think that the, the real truth is that most app businesses are bad businesses, right? I mean, that's the brutal truth <laughs> yeah. of it. So, so, uh, I think subscriptions have changed that a little bit. So in, in Conduct This, for example, again, I know I'm, I'm using a game for a, sort of a in context to talk about like the App Store and, and broader details. And that, while there are some differences, I think there's, there are also similarities between apps and games. But I think uh, we changed it from like 
you know, buy and remove the ads to a subscription base because we found out that there was a very strong community of people that wanted more content and content in Conduct This takes us a long time to make because it's very finely engineered uh, to elicit a particular challenge for each level. We do custom music and you know, models and things like that. So it's pretty uh, encompassing. And, uh, and so to fund that, uh, we needed people to continually pay for the game um, and the way we did it was, which I think was a, a pretty good, uh, good way of doing it, was that you can you can play all of conduct this on on mobile from start to finish, get end credits without paying anything and watch ads and things like that. We still have that, but we kept adding more and more content, and finally at some point we sort of unlocked all that content uh, through a subscription. So you can play through the base game and suffer through the ads, or you can remove the ads and get access to all this other content um, for a monthly fee that you can cancel at any time. And that was an interesting sort of change from us free because it, it sort of meant that we've we've actually grown like a steady supply of subscribers now. And now it's it's actually enough to pay wages for someone to make that content, right? So I feel like yeah. that's really been the, the poster boy for what you want subscriptions to do. And yeah, you still get one-star app reviews complaining that it's now a money-grabbing developer and uh, and whatnot. Uh, we've spent six years working on this game. We couldn't, I had a meeting today about a new feature that we're launching this week. So that stuff costs money and someone has to pay it, right? I think generally most apps and most things that I made in, in my younger years were bad businesses. I wasn't interested in the business part. I'm not still still not right. super interested in the business part. I'm, I usually tell people I'm a bad businessman because that's really not my main motivator for doing it. I feel like if you do something you love, um, someone so, somehow it will make sense financially. Um, and I, I, I live and die by that. Is that something that's permeated through games because i i hear that story that you just gave i've heard that a lot from other like app developers especially like productivity apps or, or entertainment apps or something like that but i feel like with games the narrative as an outsider has always been it's all like microtransactions are the name of the game like it used to be content packs and then it seems like it moved to microtransactions like i'm not a lot less familiar with the game world but outside of like like Game Pass or Apple Arcade or something. I feel like I haven't heard of subscriptions as much in the individual game world, but it yeah. seems like that makes sense in the same way as it, apps do. It totally, yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Apple Arcade, right? Apple Arcade is like the excellent example of like uh, trying to cure uh, like the symptoms and not the actual store, right? It's like no, I usually I view it as Noah's Ark for for games for the last good games. <laughs> Two of you, two of you, everyone get on board. The whole thing is uh, is going to be flooded soon. It's of biblical proportions of dopamine, microtransaction, slot machine hell. That's uh, that's what I feel like, like Apple Arcade I'm never going to get that image out of my head. It really, yeah. It's like Noah's Ark. That's funny. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's it does it feel like that. In yeah. a similar way as, uh, yeah, like a Netflix or something where it's like, all right, we need, you know, an action adventure and we need a historical drama and we need a whatever. And yeah. I guess... I guess the Apple Arcade is kind of the same kind of concept, but but now it'll be Noah's Ark in my head forever. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, we we actually made a game that we tried to get into Apple Arcade, and uh, I think it was the last game that we made as a, as a sort of mobile-first kind of title, and uh, I can definitely go on record and say... I, I, well, no, let me not go on record and say that because we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might return one day. But uh, but generally, we've been moving away from the platform, building more console and PC experiences. But the last game we made was like my love letter to this idea of what a good mobile game should be. It was called Headland. 
Um, it's like an action RPG. Uh, you play yeah. a, as a as a as a young boy who gets lost in his head, and uh, has his uh, imagination shattered, and uh, and you have to fight to regain your limitless imagination. And it's like a really neat little story. The main character is named after my oldest son. Uh, it's like a really cool uh, little action, a very approachable action RPG with quests and upgrades and levels and you know everything. Uh, and we spent about four years making it. So I spent a lot of money making this game, uh, you know, paying people's salaries. And yeah, sure, it was like a lot of reboots and we were trying to figure out what it was and we learned a lot from that process. But we launched that game. We tried to get it into Apple Arcade because we felt like that was a good fit. Like it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty much like, a, I think it's like six hours of like content with like a story yeah. with a satisfying end, then you finish it and there's end credits, right? And so we that game did not do well on mobile because the way that we landed it was more like, okay, so I don't want to do ads. I, I purely rejected it. Like that's not the point. That's, that's counterintuitive to the whole idea that we're building here. So what we did was like a shareware model. And it's actually, I feel I, to this day, I still feel like it was kind of neat. You play the first, I think 30 minutes or 45 minutes of the game um, completely free. free. And we tell this upfront to people. There's a screen at the beginning saying, this is how it works. And then you actually go to like a physical North Play store in the game world and you buy the game from that store. Uh, and you know, there's like an orb that you have to hit. And then you, you can actually like buy the full cartridge, the game, right? And then you own the game forever. And I thought, I thought that was so cute. Um, but everyone was right, of course. I was just being a soppy old romantic about video games. <laughs> you can make a business out of that. P people who are giving us one-star app reviews, just show us ads, right? Uh, they just wanted uh, ads. That's disheartening, too. Yeah. Uh. So I was like, I'm out. You're like, but I'm not doing it for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the problem is that when you then get um, one star reviews, there's lots of good reviews as well and, and lots of uh, critical acclaim for the game. And we did want, win an award for the game. It was a good game. That, as, a, as objectively, the craft of game design, I feel like it was a pretty good game. Um, but when you get one star app reviews, you're going to, you just, the, the algorithm is just going to punish you and it's just not going to serve yeah. it up to as many people. So the market mismatch of something like that just did not work out for us. We shipped Headland like two years later for a Nintendo Switch, which is a much better fit and an excellent game on the Switch. Um, but yeah, that was like my last big mobile game. Did I answer the three questions? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The third question really is my is my like, and now we start question. Uh, yeah. It used to be the idea was let's get to know people and then we'll talk about the thing. But I've it it turns out this show is way more interesting to just. <laughs> <laughs> talk about people's whole backstories because uh, selfishly i just find that fascinating um so so yes you're you we are in the process of answering the third question because that's essentially what the show is now i do really want to talk about uh the ios app icon book and i am already running kind of low on time as i always am uh, so good to know that even after yeah. a break i can still <laughs> make a podcast that's way too long so Let's like fast forward a little bit. So you, you still have the uh, North play. Like you guys are still yeah. making games, right? Still okay. still living, still doing the thi our thing. Still doing the thing. You still have probably a million other projects. You're flying around yeah. giving talks at conferences or well, I mean, I guess there was a break for, from that for a while. But leading up to the beginning, at least of the app icon book, this was pre-pandemic when it started. So how did, where did this idea like come from? And then let's just kind of like talk through how it came to be. Sure. 
so uh, as we already covered, app icons has sort of been like a, a, I guess a pivotal point or like or a pillar in my design career, you could say, right? It's it's kind of through that sort of medium that I've just like gotten to know a lot of people uh, in the industry. It's how I started my first um, product development studio, uh, and uh, and I, I don't I feel like that art form has like opened a lot of doors for me. And uh, I, I still practice it. I, I run a small, like, one-man design studio. So, yeah. So, next to Northplay, I also have Pixel Resort, which has been, like, with me for, like, I, I, I just turned in my uh, financials. It's, like, I think it's, like, 16 years now. Um, and just wow. sort of just selling, you know, the, my skills as a craftsman, as a designer, right? Uh, and uh, a lot of that is making app icons, and I still love to do that. So there's probably a lot of developers listening to your podcast. And so if they're totally plugging it here. Is Applied Pixels under that as well? This is like your sort of... Yeah, Applied Pixels is under that. Yeah. We're, okay, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're veering off the path a little bit there. But uh, yeah, um, so Pixel Resort is where I freelance from, uh, do services for people. Apply Pixels actually came out of another side project. So way back in the day, I was doing all these app icons, and I was... I was I was just constantly having to like do all the different sizes and things like that. So I I bought a domain one evening called App Icon Template and made the first iOS App Icon Template, uh, and it got millions of downloads. And I was drowning yeah, in support. probably ninety percent of people listening have Googled <laughs> App Icon Template before. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot of uh, <laughs> and 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 it was amazing, uh, and I loved it. Uh, and it's interesting because when I did the book now, uh, I got a lot of files back from way back in the, like, like reading oh, through yeah, the rings yeah. of, a, of, a, of an old log, right? And I could see like my own files coming back to me. So that was, that was interesting. That's but, wild. But that turned into Apply Pixels, um, which is, uh, which is, uh, which basically was me saying, okay, I can't do, I, I want to add more templates. There's a l- bunch of templates on there, not just icons. And like, I want to make more design tools. Uh, again, kind of interested in sort of teaching a little bit and doing like resources for other people but i can't i'm bogged down by support and i just can't dedicate more time to it if it isn't a business so i, I did the dangerous thing on the on the internet which was to take something that i've been giving away for free and try to turn it into a business um but apply pixels have been doing really well it's a it's sort of like a, it's quality over quantity like it's it's not you know your your stock site uh it's really handcrafted templates for uh, app developers and with icons and screenshots and things like that, aiming to make them easier for Photoshop, but also for things like Sketch and Figma and things like that. So that's really grown. Yeah, that's a and I can also. personally attest. You know, this is not an ad, uh, but <laughs> I, I'm a heavy user of Apply Pixels, uh, especially in the early days of trying to figure out dark noise icons yeah. and stuff. Very, very valuable resource. So yeah, so I, I do that on the side, and and that's I'm really happy with with how that's been going. Um, but but yeah, so. I've been thinking about uh, back to maybe I think 2017. I've been like still doing this craft, and I felt like I felt like one of the old ones at that point, right? Uh, I've been doing it for so long, and I was giving these workshops on app icons, and I still like really enjoyed um, teaching uh, the sort of stuff that I was learning. I've been giving talks at Adobe Max for the past eight years in yeah. LA. Most of those are accessible too. Like, I, well, I do have Creative Cloud. I don't know if that's necessary, but if not, I'll link to some of them because they're great. Yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, I've, I've sort of turned into that icon guy over there being typecast. Uh, and when you try to say, like, I, I'm a game designer, <laughs> like, people don't shut up. You're the icon guy, uh, which is fine. I love, <laughs> I love icons, right? Uh, and that's the problem of being excited by many things. 
Um, but uh, but so no, I, I was like, I, I love that. And I, I thought it was kind of a shame that no one had made a book celebrating it. There's lots of, on my shelf, there's lots of like logo books and like big design tomes and coffee yeah. table books. And I wanted there to be like a, a piece of, uh, of of work that sort of celebrated the craft of app icon design, right? Um, and uh, that idea had been bouncing around my mind for a long time. Uh, and because when you want to print a book, like you got to figure out a bunch of stuff. First of all, you can't just put people's work into a book, right? You you actually have to ma- contact everyone, ask for files, get them to sign legal agreements. Um, and what we found out, so I started the project. I just did like a, a, we many of us probably do with side projects, like good old public commitment, right? I bought the domain, told everyone I was writing a yeah. book, and then I had to write the book. And so, uh, and I, I luckily I got a lot of help from Jim Nielsen, uh, who uh, runs the iOS Icon Galleries, which is really nice curated website. Yeah, he was one of the first people I wrote, and uh, and he was just been really helpful with like the detective work that we were we were going through. Anders Bothman, who now w- works with me at North Play, volunteered. He's a print designer. I'm a screen designer through and through. So I have I don't have the faintest idea of how to make a book, or at least I didn't. Um, so there was like a, a lot of just sort of headlessly throwing my, myself at, at sort of this thing. And I just really wanted it to, to, yeah, how to, did you, I mean, wh- how do you start with that? Obviously by a book <sighs> domain name, the most important part yeah. of any project, but then it's like, do you start trying to outline a book? Were you just trying to capture like as many icons as you could that you wanted to get in there? Like what was the first steps? I think you, I tried to break it down into like different, like very manageable tasks, like get the legal paperwork done, get like a system for delivering this sort of stuff figure out like what I liked in books. Like I spent a lot of time looking at art books and, yeah. um, and I had to learn InDesign. Uh, <laughs> I say it with, with some, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. No, I, were there specific books that were like big inspirations for you? I didn't find like the exact book that I want to make, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people that are really good at presenting their own work and, um, and just like making, um, you know, um, I'm just looking at my shelf here. Okay, I'm back. Your editor will have to edit that wonderful thing out. So Dra- <laughs> uh, Draplin Design, for example, like Draplin, like Aaron James Draplin, his work is phenomenal, really. And he, I've seen him many times at Adobe Max, and um, I just really love that presentation of that book of, of, of his work. And there's been a bunch of other design books that I've like really enjoyed i didn't want to make like a big textbook on icons i wanted to try to like capture the art that was there um it wasn't also like i was it it was pretty quickly uh i i sort of noticed that we couldn't do like an encyclopedic sort of book because it was so much work per icon like one icon could take up maybe 10 or 15 emails of like emailing back and forth finding the right people right and an interesting thing happened during that process, um, late night calls with with Jim and Anders, and we were trying to like, we wanted to make this beautiful book, right? This uh, this object of desire, and, and we wanted to celebrate this craft. But another thing sort of dawned on us as we were doing like this, um, this all this digging around was that a lot of the apps aren't around anymore, right? And so it became sort yeah. of like a question of like, Okay, almost like internet archaeology. You have to dig out and figure out, okay, who bought who or who has the right, rights who to this Who actually owns the rights to this, yeah. And there was like, a, I think, a, a pretty big sadness that sort of sort of came over the whole project when we were working on it because it dawned on us 
that we're not just trying to like celebrate this art and show it. We're also trying to preserve it because a lot of it is being lost to time very quickly. Yeah. And so that that wasn't really a goal from the beginning, but it really became like a secondary pillar for for the whole book. And um, and I feel like that mission sort of it took us like four years to capture all that work and to have all those conversations with people. I wanted. I knew that I had experience, as as we briefly touched upon, with with crowdfunding uh, from earlier times. So I knew I wanted to use that vehicle to sort of bring the the book to market. What was the reason for that? Out of curiosity. Well, first of all, if you go to a a, a publishing studio and you tell them that you want to make a book about the pictures that's on your phone, they'll laugh at you. Trust me, I know. <laughs> So and I was like, no, nope, it's not. A, really it's important. not a huge demo that they already have in their charts. Uh, nope, it's uh, not. Independent app developers and designers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like no one will buy that. <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, I think I think people will. And I I, I don't know. Again, from the from from like the the idea that if I love it and I think it's good, then maybe someone else will. You know, it's it's interesting. Like publishers, part of their or I guess distributors. I don't know. I don't know anything about the book industry, but I'd imagine part of their role is finding an audience for something, right? But in yeah. this case, you're probably a much better expert at finding the audience for this specific book than they would be. Yeah, and I guess as as I've done many times before, I was like, heck, I'll do it myself. <laughs> how, hard, <laughs> how hard can it be? Uh, and uh, it was hard. It, was, it really was. Um, I, I'm glad that I, I didn't know everything that it took uh, before starting it, because I might not have done it. Um, but fast forward to 2021, last year, I had almost finished the book by then. And it, yeah, it took roughly around four years. And when you say finished, is that is that the, the end design or had you already gotten into the book, the physical book part of it? We had most of the layout done in InDesign, uh, captured what I believed to be 90% of the, the content that did change, um, but written the things that I wanted. Uh, we did lots of the, so for people that don't know about the book, um, the iOS app icon book is sort of like a, it, it is a celebration of app icon design. It's a lot of, um, a lot of, I think it has like a thousand app icons or something in there. Don't count them. I don't know. A little less, maybe. Uh, but like high quality artwork from throughout the the from from the inception of the iPhone to to just very recent icons and many different styles and applications and games and things like that. But it also has uh, sections that uh, some that I wrote, some that Jim wrote about the history of iOS app icons. I wrote about how I do my work. Uh, just to sort of, not because I think that everyone who buys this book wants to get into icon design, but I feel like if you can understand how we make it, um, it might help you appreciate the art in the book. And uh, on top of that, we have um, artist spotlights, which I'm, I'm was really excited to do because I wanted to also show the humans behind the art. So we found people from from all sort over the world that wanted to that were part of this that that's been part of providing art for this golden age of icon design. Yeah, that's what the book is, and uh, and yeah, I wanted to 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 do a, a Kickstarter, um, but only at the very end because I've been part of Kickstarters where we're trying to build the product while we're doing the Kickstarter, and it's the worst. Like, uh, and I feel like that's the the reason why a lot of Kickstarters fail is that kicks making a Kickstarter is its own product, and it's very stressful, right. and it, it's really a thing that you have to have great respect for. People will feel ownership, of course they will. Um, and so I think it, it has to be done very well and, and a lot of effort has to be put into it being very transparent 
um, presented well and 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 accountable to for you know, you know how it's done. And I feel like when you step onto that stage, you're doing it very publicly, and uh, and you're basically an ambassador for trying to um, make this type of product. So so I took I I took a, put a lot of effort into the Kickstarter video, and we launched it in December of 2021 last year December last year. Honestly, it was pretty nerve wracking to begin with because people maybe people were maybe I was crazy to have spent four years on you know <laughs> collecting uh, these glowing squares from our pockets, right? Uh, and uh, I knew that some people would be interested in the book, of course. Uh, but would enough people be interested in the book? And I think that was. Did you big... have any sense of expectations at all? Like, were you thinking, okay, you know, we probably should get around this, and if it's less than that, you know, we'll be disappointed. If it's more than that, we won't. Yeah, I recorded a video. I think a couple of weeks before the Kickstarter launched, um, sort of like honestly, just talking to the camera. That's on YouTube too. Where I kind of like, I had just finished recording the Kickstarter video, which in it by itself was a lot of work. And then um, I was like, if we get like 500 books, I think that was my, my, like, it, it, I couldn't even imagine us selling a 500 books. This is a pretty, it's not a cheap book. It's also very expensive right, to yeah. make, right? So like, would 500 people buy a hardcover book from, 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 from me, right? Um, and uh, of course, that's that later been put to shame. But but I was genuinely nervous about like whether how people would 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 take this, um, and if there'd be in, any interest at all. I think with the, the also I set the, the goal of the project very low. Like it's like I think it's like ten thousand euros. And had I just collected ten thousand euros minus the ten percent the Kickstarter pulls, uh, minus the shipping fees, which are astronomical, I would have been like pouring money into a hole like it would not have been a good project but kind of like with similar decisions in my business life i was like i've spent a lot of time working on this i want to see it to the end i want to launch yeah. this because it has to exist in the world so i made the kickstarter campaign and luckily we got funded in like eight hours or something like that so and then we blew past that and uh, we've just uh, we're, we're on i think when you're listening to this there might be like 50 books left of like the first production run, our first print run. Yeah. Didn't you, ju didn't you just recently say you started another production run or you're yeah, thinking about just, it or something? Yeah. Well, I've placed an order for a second print run. Um, so the first print run was uh, 3000 books, which of course was much higher, higher than, you know, anything we had imagined. That's also still scary. Like, just the upfront costs that you have are that is uh, yeah exactly and it's just one little calculation wrong and you you yeah. bankrupt yourself oh, right yeah because i you haven't you haven't played it up well but like i mean i actually i have it right oh nice so, i see it there uh it is i mean super high quality it has this like hologram i don't know why i'm showing you your own book uh <laughs> <I> <laughs> nobody else right can here. see it <laughs> uh <laughs> It has this like holographic thing on the front in the icon yeah. squircle shape, and which I assume that probably isn't the cheapest thing either. Like, no, uh, you have to send them to a special place in Germany for that the, the, to actually have that foil like em, em, emblazoned on the the front. Oh, wow, yeah. But for it to work, that's part of why it works so well, right? Yeah, it's like it's it is and, and, like you said an object of desire it's a thing you are proud to have on your shelf and you kind of yeah. leaf through and look at you know i really yeah in the words Sorry, of john in the words of john hammond we spared no expense <laughs> uh, 
and I really feel like, um, yeah, no, I, I, I suppose that is why uh, it really did so well. And 3,000 books might not sound like a lot to app developers because 3,000 apps isn't a lot, but 3,000 books takes up a lot of space. And just like and yeah. people, people don't really know this, but so, well, maybe people know, I don't know. But a lot of people have gotten a little too accustomed to Amazon shipping rates and, um, you know, big st online stores. But actually shipping for someone like us in the volume that we're shipping this book costs around, like just from Denmark to the US with uh, DHL, it costs us 38.5 US dollars to ship that package. And so yeah. um, the book is at 65 uh, euros. What would happen is, and we, um, it, the cost for the book is very high. So there's a lot of, not a lot of margin. People would pay for shipping and complain about shipping prices. And I get that. I totally get that. But the thing is, if it got lost, which 10% of all packages do, we have to send them another book, again, paying for shipping. Wow, 10%? 10% of all packages get lost. 10% of all credit cards wow. default as well from Kickstarter campaigns. So when you see a big number oh, in Kickstarter, you have to like subtract Kickstarter fees, 10%. Subtract uh, the 10% uh, credit cards that's going to decline for various reasons. And then you're going to have to, the, if it's physical products you're shipping, you have to approach it with awe and respect. It is one of the toughest things, like shipping physical things around the world. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say. Hardware is hard, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This I've, I get it. This isn't even like a, a technical thing, but a lot of things can actually books break and in 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 because postal services don't treat them very well. So we buy special you know cardboard boxes that we ship them in, designed for hardcover books, but even they sometimes fail. Like I just learned so much about that world, and it's not a particularly sexy world. Like shipping things around the world. <laughs> I never got into this wanting to learn about fulfillment centers and you know everything like that. So we've handled up fulfillment ourselves for the book. Yeah, yeah, you've posted some videos of like pallets of books, which is overwhelming to look at. <laughs> yeah, and and I can't even take credit for a lot of that because I hired Anders Bothman to uh, who were a huge uh, part of, of also putting together the book. He was the one with the InDesign experience and uh, very patient, patient with me trying to fumble my way through InDesign. InDesign. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, he packaged up most of the, of, of the books uh, and uh, and has sort of been shipping them out. He's been my like our own little. We are moving. Uh, we're actually moving our warehouse now. We just rented out like a depot, like wherever. If you're moving from one place to another, you rent out a small space. But, but now we're actually moving it. Uh, he has a garage close to him, so he, we're gonna move like the new warehouse to his place. He's gonna live with the books now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I had a lot of help making this book, and I've had a lot of goodwill from from people, both from people when I, the four long years of all that patience and all that emailing. I literally think we wrote more than ten thousand emails to make this happen. We had just so many people are really kind towards us. Only a few people were asking because we, we couldn't give people anything. Like, we can't give you a free book yeah. for being in the. There's a thousand icons in the book. So, if we had right, to give that would everyone be a, very a book, expensive. <laughs> that would be a very expensive thing, right? I wish we could. We just uh, released, though, uh, a digital edition that's much uh, more affordable. Also, gave that away to all the Kickstarter backers, which I'm really happy about, sort of being able to apply extra value to the people who are. Uh, supporting us um, for, for for so long. Normally, I get excited about digital versions because I can, you know, Command F like search through things. But one of my favorite touches in this book, because you know I have a big ego, is like I could immediately go to the back 
you very thoughtfully have the uh, i want to say glossary that's not the right word is it yeah what is that it's at the index. end is it glossary index it's thank index. you yeah that's it's both the apps and then there's also one that's the designer names yeah uh, so you can go to either one and i can look up you know dark noise and find what page i'm on or see if i'm on a page for starters yeah you're in there <laughs> i've done that so much where i've just opened the back and gone through and i'm like oh i didn't notice this person was in there yeah. and then i can like leaf through and find their stuff like it it's very just delightful i'm so happy that you that you feel that way i, I and i think like I, I was very hesitant to put out the digital version because i felt like it was kind of counterintuitive like the whole reason why i did this book was to take something that was one like only digital and make it physical right it was like to pres- the preserve uh, like the one the, the man who wanted to preserve things from the ephemeral nature of our digital work um, is now releasing a digital book. Uh, <laughs> but it, but I, I, I really do love the physical version. It, it, was, it, it has become everything that I, I dreamed of. And it's not a book that you have to sit down and read from one end to another. It's structured that way. Like, so you can open it on any random page. And a lot of the icons from like even newer icons too, but a lot of the older icons just have so much detail right and there's a that's the thing that i keep finding is especially the ones that are blown up it's like oh i've seen this icon a thousand times and never noticed xyz in there because you know you're looking at it on a tiny non-retina maybe uh screen back then yeah i think that's magical to to some extent and i I feel like in a way so i've been the the type of person who's probably i've pushed back a lot on sort of designed for the sake of of functionality only right i have uh, i have always tried to imbue it with some sort of artistry uh even from way back when we made our first apps as robocat through the experience of the game design experience i make with north play um and just all the freelance work that i do uh, for people i always want to just you know add a little bit of like something extra to it and it doesn't even embellishment for the sake of imparting some sort of experience in the viewer and i feel, feel like there was a period of time where that was kind of frowned upon like design was a tool to get you from a to b as as effective as possible and i've always pushed back on that i feel like there is no one singular right way to do things in design design is a toolkit and yeah sometimes uh it, it is very important that that design uses a design system is very stringent you don't want your banking app to be like an experience every time you open it right <laughs> but I also feel like the well, pendulum, you do. You just don't want it to be a, a, a bad experience, delightful, yeah. fun experience yeah. in the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you do want it to be an experience, but um, so so I feel like I've been beating that drum for so many years and trying trying to like tell people that it could be a lot more than just sort of a colored glyph on a white background uh, in terms of app icon design, and somehow like the most effective argument I could make for that was to make this book. Yeah, it definitely shows. I mean, it's ridiculously inspirational. It's kind of funny timing, too. So you started this, or well, when I came to understand this was happening, it was like 2019. And in that period of time, while you were working on it, was when, is it Big Sur? The version of Mac OS where yeah. uh, I feel like everybody reached out to you to try and get you for an interview because yeah. you had built a reputation for the... <laughs> bring fun back into icon design guy but when they came out with the new mac icons that had a little bit of depth a little bit of character back in them everybody's kind of like the anti skeuomorphic era is over bring back the fun (laughs) yeah i was like i told you (laughs) yeah (laughs) that had to have been sort of a validating moment but yeah i wrote an article called 
the comeback of fun in visual design. I was all out on that. I was like, oh man, that's been so long coming. Like, I think a lot of people knew that something like this, like, had to give. But yeah, it was very much redemption for uh, for some of us more vocal types that's been like writing articles and teaching this stuff for a long time and the old guard holding on. <laughs> big the big comeback moment. So having having this book in the wake of that, like when I came out with my the Mac version of my app, I kind of went through the like, all right, I'm gonna make a te- overly textured, you know, bring all of the things that I can in as much as my limited skills can. And I spent a lot of time going through all these icons that I knew of or found online or whatever, but I didn't have the book then. But now I'm like going through and I'm like, oh, I could have used this <laughs> yeah. texture here or like, like I've never learned how to do the glass texture, but I would have like brought that in more seeing some of these icons that have that in there. I think, I think there's going to be a future set of, of icons in the future that will probably be able to point to this book as like something that inspired, you know, how their eventual designs came together. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the motivating factors for making the book is like leaving that mark, right? Um, and, and having that visual argument for um, exploring the many things that design can be, right? I, I don't want this to be taken as minimalist design is bad or anything like that. It's just, it can be many things and you should apply what, what makes sense and you shouldn't be afraid to experiment. It's a choice that you make, right? Um, and I and I feel like uh, I mean sure you can look at older icons be like but that looks very dated and I, I think that's fine like that I, I think we've landed somewhere in between luckily I have always gotten away with making this type of work there was always a demand for it even in the most minimalist of days like um, there were people asking for these types of services and and I guess you could also make the argument that if you are a, a good enough uh, designer you can make both right um, right but uh, but but I. I I, f- I feel like it's okay to be opinionated in design. I feel like you, we are artists too. It's we're not just sort of like uh, doing, um, you know, a, a craftsmanship of like getting people from A to B. Or I feel like sometimes the designer today has been uh, diminished into just putting colored uh, squares on 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 phones, right? Um, and have yeah. been tied a lot in terms of their artistic vision. And I think in most designers, there is an artist inside somewhere. Uh, and uh, and I, I feel like if we could just sort of show them what has gone before them um, to a greater extent, then I, I hope that that will help shape uh, the future of visual design. And I think those are, of course, I get those are very big words, but I feel like I, that's why I made the book. Like that's that's what I wanted for the for the for the legacy of the book to be. So I guess the the to end off things with the book then do you i mean it sounds like the answer is going to be yes but like how do you feel about how it came out are you are you like proud of the way it turned out or the things you wish you would have done differently i'm incredibly proud like i feel like it's i'm i I just sometimes to take it down a shelf and just kind of look at it and just can't really believe that it's here that it happened um and uh i do too and i didn't i didn't make it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can't believe that my one icon is is in this (laughs) enormously beautiful and chock full of uh big historic icons that you know mean a lot to me um and mine is sitting alongside there and i've i i think i don't know if i told you this or if you saw this on twitter but uh at wwdc this year there was you know that in-person component uh, and i got to go for the first time which was cool and there were people that brought them so that they could 
go get people's signatures. Yes. For the, you know, the, the people that actually made those apps. I saw that. And I just, that was one of the coolest ideas and concepts. And I'm like, I wish Michael was here to witness this. Yeah, I wish It's creating conversation. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just on the shelf. Not I sent I sent a book to I sent a book to Tim Cook. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, but I also I know for a fact I've talked to uh, teams at Apple uh, that has the book that bought you know a bunch of the books, and so I know that it's inside uh, the spaceship, and uh, I also uh, casually mentioned that I would love to fly in and do some sort of event, a book signing or a talk or anything. I, I but of course like the pandemic kind of sometimes puts a stop yeah. to that sort of yeah. stuff. Sort of, sort of thing. But I, I feel like the book, to me at least, it seems like it's been a really unifying thing. And, and that makes me incredibly proud to have worked on it. Um, I did not do this alone. I, I, I got so much help from other people and from all the art, the, the, the people that made a lot of the art. I mean, it, this would have been, a, I feel like, not the same or like not at all the same had it just been my own art. It would have been a much easier book for me to make for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, but, but, I, but I feel like it's been a very unifying thing um, in, a, in a very fractured community. It's always it, it transcends a little bit sort of the design and versus developer kind of thing, like that whole conversation yeah. about what you're into. I feel like it's a very tangible thing. Everyone can appreciate this sort of stuff and the craftsmanship that goes into these things. And there's a lot of history in there as well, um, be hidden behind those icons, right? Well, and you have the spreads with the history, you know, uh, like yeah. uh, like uh, Twitterific and a couple of, or everything with uh, Apollo. Like, yeah, there's all this multiple icons for the same apps and sort of you can see that history laid out uh in the pages yeah i think we've been fawning over the book enough now all right so to to wrap things up then uh since yeah i'm definitely right up against the edge of time here uh i guess i'll end with asking the question i ask everybody although you've said a couple people already but what is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend others check out that is a really difficult question. I feel like a lot of people have have inspired me, um, and I was really happy to interview some of them for the book, for example. But also, even just oh yeah, people the people that I feel like yeah, so we've lived most of our sort of creative careers on Twitter, right, and seen all these little uh, Twitter avatars, and and I've gotten to meet some of those people through my speaking career. Uh, and uh, just really made some genuinely like good friends in other countries and. Yeah, so it's it's really hard for me to choose one because I feel like there's a lot of different people that has inspired me. Uh, but I kind of want to choose someone that I actually haven't met because all the other ones they know I love them. <laughs> but uh, which is Icon Factory, uh, which ah. I, I I I you've really never met love. them. I've never met uh, I've never met them uh, both. Uh, so I talked to Gideon, who uh, who's uh, one of the co-founders there, and uh, Corey, who is sadly not with us anymore. Um, and uh and then talos uh the three founders there uh and they're in the book they have like an artist spotlight uh i kind of they could have filled many pages they have so much yeah. history and i feel like the reason why i want to choose them is um because at the time when i was sort of in my pajamas in my small copenhagen apartment trying to figure out if this could be a way of of, of living uh and you know making art like this and if there was a demand for this they were running a business on this. They were making icons for Microsoft, or they, and they were they were sort of 
showing the way uh and and i think in a way they inspired me through many different products and things they've made um all the way up to now where they run their patreon just to give out fun wallpapers and icons and like very much in the spirit of the old days i feel like they've just been such a pillar in this and i was so humbled um to hear that Corey got to see the book uh before his passing unfortunately oh wow yeah. um and and uh, and gideon uh, uh i hope that's okay that i share that with uh, with people eh? but um that really made a big impact on me because they have all those three people have impacted like this danish designer on the other side of the earth that i've never met them or anything but they through their actions actually helped shape uh the legality of like this career path for me in a world where there's a, like a lot of hitting hit against the wall in terms of like adult life like okay you can't go do this or you can't do that but icons and and the art for and the love of, of pixels really um shines through their work that's very poetic too like they sort of helped start your career accidentally, you know, yeah. uh, getting into this space. And I, I think, I think it's safe to say that you're doing a lot of similar things in terms of inspiring other people, not just the book. Cause I doubt there's a lot of teenagers who, you know, bought the book day one or whatever in high school. Yeah. Maybe they'll find it one day dusty in a library. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'll <laughs> honestly though, I, not to keep fawning over the book, but dusty in the library almost makes it even cooler. Like the idea of that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yeah. Just speaking personally as someone who came into this world later in my career, you've been super influential for me. And I, I know talking to others that you've been influential for them. I mean, your advocacy for bringing fun into both icons and UI is something that lots of people are feeling right now. And so, uh, yeah, I, I am very proud to have you on here and to get to talk to you. And so thank Aww. you so much for coming. Thank you, Charlie. That really means a lot to me. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I survived first episode back. Hopefully I didn't yeah. embarrass myself too much. It's always weird after these summer breaks hopefully i didn't steer you in like 15 uh, yeah hopefully i didn't steer you in like all all sorts of directions oh no that's what this show is is me just going off on tangents and hopefully finding random nuggets of things that people are excited to talk about and uh yeah at the very least i was excited to hear everything you were saying so uh i think it's a success so where can people find you and your work so they can find me uh, just with my last name. It's F-L-A-R-U-P. Um, Flarup is how the Americans pronounce it uh, most often. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> just so I can get it on record. Uh, what is the correct pronunciation? Because I know you gave me permission to use the the uh, dumb American <laughs> yeah. pronunciation, that's which so, I appreciate. So, but I, yeah, that's so okay. I, I, it's Flarup. So that's awesome. the that's that's the Danish pronunciation, uh, but uh, really it doesn't really matter to me. I think most people call me Flarop, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's Twitter slash Flarop or YouTube slash Flarop or Instagram slash Flarop. Flarop, all the things. Uh, my uh, main sort of site is like Flarop.co, which sort of is a sort of a, an umbrella site for the many weird things that I'm that I'm yeah. into. Uh, which you can is click everything. on the projects tab and yeah. just see a grid of. So yeah, and, I, and even that's an old, <laughs> old website that I have to update. I'm actually in the process right now of updating my portfolio on Pixel Resort, making it a little easier for people to, you know, find and, and employ my services as a freelancer. Nice. So pixelresort.com is one site. We mentioned Apply Pixels, of course. I feel like that's a very 
that's part of, of what I do in, in resources. And of course, Northplay, which is northplay.co. And then the, the app icon book is appiconbook.com, which it is. Uh, hopefully I've done enough to impress how impressed I am with the book. And I, I want more people to buy it so that there's more copies to fill up dusty libraries in 100 years. There's also flareup.shop, which is kind of a recent addition where we sell the app icon book, but also sell like other physical ah, okay. things that I've started doing, like stickers and other art things. Um, so yeah, flareup.shop is another thing. I have too many domains. <laughs> <laughs> you can never, yeah, you say that, but in a week you're going to own another domain. That's, that's yeah, how this works. Yeah, exactly. Like I've already got like three other projects lined up. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'll let you go, but. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a really, really fun conversation and a great way to get me back in the saddle, so to speak, uh, talking into a mic. Thank you for having me, Charlie. Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Ruiz. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. And you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. <laughs>